The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hello and welcome to the Credit Edge, a weekly markets podcast. My name is James Crombie. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. Today's guests are Claire Boston, who leads the leverage finance team at Bloomberg News in New York and is a real expert on distressed debt. We're delighted to have you on the show. Thank you. Also this week, we have Arnold Kakuda, one of my favorite debt analysts. We go way back. He looks at banks for Bloomberg Intelligence. But before we dig into banks, let's talk distress, by which we mean companies running into trouble and not being able to pay back debt, which for some of them can run into billions of dollars. That's a massive problem if you're lending to them or supplying products to them, not just or, or for a handful of others. Um, it's an opportunity. Lawyers billing thousands an hour and some investors who are positioning around it. But let's get straight into it, Claire. The retail sector is hurting, not just in the US, but globally. Note all the big blow ups in the UK at the moment. But let's stick to the US. Party City is among several high profile bankruptcies in that sector. Bed Bath & Beyond is another big name in the news. What's the situation there? Why is this all coming to a head now? We're definitely seeing a lot of retail bankruptcies at this moment. Um, because we are in the first quarter of a new year, um, a lot of companies will look at their holiday performance because it's such a key period of the year for them. Um, and when they have big misses, um, that can be the impetus for a bankruptcy filing. So that's something we're seeing in Party City and as well as Bed Bath, even though uh, they haven't filed yet, but are widely expected to soon. And these supply chain issues that we've been hearing about for a number of years now, you know, are really coming to a head for some of these companies as well. But on Bed Bath & Beyond specifically, what, what do we expect to happen next? I mean, they, they run these really large big box stores in what looks like very high rent locations, selling stuff that you probably find cheaper online. You know, the last time I was in one, I gave up at the checkout because I was standing behind five people in line. They all had carts full of laundry detergent and they all had fistfuls of coupons and it just took hours for anyone to get through. Um, what, where do they go from here? Right. We're expecting an imminent bankruptcy filing. And our latest reporting is telling us that this is going to be a liquidation scenario. So, um, you know, as far as we know, they have not found a buyer for, you know, either the main bed bath assets or this bye bye baby brand, which a lot of um, creditors had sort of viewed as a crown jewel. So, you know, it looks like they will go in as Chapter 11, but, you know, be looking to liquidate these stores. And, um, you know, we'll see when exactly they come in, uh, February rent is typically due on the first of the month. Um, and so it's really just probably a matter of them finalizing paperwork. But I'm still kind of curious as to why this is all happening now. I remember recall a big clear out of the retail sector a few years ago in the States where, you know, companies like Fairway, Payless, Gymboree, Barneys, they all went under and, you know, big names like Sears were, were really blowing up. Um, but why are we seeing this again now? Surely it was all cleared out then. 
Some of it was cleared out, and we did see another wave of bankruptcies in kind of the early 2020 COVID period. What we're seeing now is a lot of companies that maybe got that rescue financing two years ago or three years ago, but now creditors are just saying, you know, look, no more. Um, the company couldn't turn things around. You know, maybe their expenses got a lot higher. Um, consumers, of course, are kind of pulling back as inflation has been such a hot topic uh, in the past year or so. And that's a really difficult combination of factors to keep a retail business going, especially when the entire sector has been struggling for years now. So expect more Chapter 22? Yeah, Chapter 22. That's always a fun one. Um, For sure, we are seeing some companies of concern that will be going for their second Chapter 11. Tuesday morning is one that we've been covering a bit. Um, We've reported that they are considering a second bankruptcy filing. Um, They were one of the companies that went under kind of in that first pandemic wave of 2020. Um, and they could file as well very soon. And we do expect this to be broader than the last time. I mean, there's a lot of debt coming due. Rates are going up. The economy's slowing. Um, you know, people still like to get deals online, so they're maybe not going back to the shops. We've had the pandemic, so people stayed out of the shops during that period. What is the future of bricks and mortar retail? Is that the one that's going to go 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 under? You know, it's hard to say, right? We have uh, heard for years that bricks and mortar is dead, and, and yet it, it still lives on in some capacity. That being said, we are also seeing some new names that are of concern um, and do rely heavily on bricks and mortar. We wrote the other day about a company called West Marine. They, they do stores that um, cater to fishermen, um, and they are uh, having issues with, with their liquidity and their debt now. So there are certainly, you know, more stores that are struggling these days and, you know, rents can be a really big burden on these companies. Surely fishing is totally recession proof, I would have thought. Um, does this mean though, when you step back though, that, that, you know, all of those companies that just loaded up on cheap debt over the last 10 years, let's say when it was, you know, the record low cost of funds for, for most companies, are they just now going to blow up? I mean, is it the end of the zombie companies as we know them? We'll see. Um, You know, one thing we do hear a lot about is that there are still firms that specialize in what we might call like a rescue financing. So, you know, some sort of very expensive loan that can provide liquidity if you think you have a short term problem as a company. Um, I think it remains to be seen whether or not companies can afford to, you know, refinance at some of these much higher rates. And that is definitely a concern and a reason that some companies may be pushed into bankruptcy. But even then, after the bankruptcy, that doesn't mean that they disappear completely, right? I mean, we can still expect potentially, I mean, I'm hoping myself to, after the party city bankruptcy, to be able to still purchase those massive helium balloons. Yes. um, Most Chapter 11 bankruptcies, the retailers are going to at least attempt to restructure. You know, usually they do close a number of stores, but most plan to not go away completely. Um, You know, the bed baths of the world, there are liquidation scenarios, but um, it's pretty typical to see retailers survive, you know, under new private ownership. There's a few private equity firms that have sort of started to specialize in buying up these retailers and trying to turn them around as smaller companies. And we would expect that to continue. Is there any rhyme or reason to who survives and who doesn't? Yeah, I think part of it is the Amazon effect. Um, You know, have you been completely run out of the market by Amazon or, you know, perhaps in the case of Bed Bath, big box retailers being more active in the space? Um, You know, sometimes it is just they say, you know, good business, bad capital structure. Maybe you have too much debt, but um, if your debt burden is lower, um, you can survive as a chain. Um, And so we've seen that in a number of cases in previous years. But just digging in a bit before we come to Arnold and talk about banks, um, 
what's going on behind the scenes in terms of the creditors? Is there anything interesting? I mean, we've we've seen for years all this talk of dry powder, dry powder. We're going to be pouncing on any opportunity when everything blows up. And all of these distress funds have just been circling like vultures, but they've not had anything to chew on for quite a long time. So what, what's going on on the, on the creditor side? They're certainly busy. I would say a number of distressed funds have sort of sworn off retail after being so burned in the past five years of what we would call the retail apocalypse. Um, but the ones that do want to play in the space are often going after what we would call like a loan to own transaction. So they'll buy up this super distressed debt, you know, often looking at sort of a high priority loan or something with the intent of knowing this company will file for bankruptcy and they will emerge as equity owners. So, you know, if you're a creditor and you're doing that, you have to have a vision for what this company is going to look like on the other side of bankruptcy. But that can be really compelling for certain types of firms. So just going back to your phrase, the retail apocalypse, um, where are we in that cycle? Is it all over? Is it coming to an end? Are we not to use the baseball metaphors, but um, what inning are we in? Yeah, I think uh, there's definitely more to come this year. I would not say it's the beginning of the end. Um, you know, plenty, as we talked about earlier, um, of firms that, you know, maybe previously filed might need to file again. Um, and we're hearing about, you know, sort of just new stores of concern every day. Um, this could go on for a number of years, I think. Great. OK, well, we look forward to that. Thank you, Claire Boston, at Bloomberg News. We look forward to hearing a lot more on that. We look forward to reading all your scoops. Um, and you can see all the news and analysis of leverage finance and distressed debt by Claire and her team on the Bloomberg terminal or at Bloomberg.com. So switching gears a bit here, as I mentioned earlier, we are very lucky to have here Arnold Kakuda from Bloomberg Intelligence. Um, now, you look at the financial sector, which is mostly not distressed though there may be a few issues with those that lend only to consumers, right? And we'll get to that maybe in a bit. Um, but let's start big picture, Arnold. What's up with the banks? Um, all we're hearing is bad news, or all, all, I'm, all I'm seeing is bad news. Layoffs, lower earnings, treble offloading, all of that debt that was used to fund buybacks. What's the situation? Should we be worried here about the banks? Well, actually, uh, on the contrary, um, you know, I think the layoffs, it's, it's a way to kind of manage the expenses in terms of the revenue environment. And that's more specifically kind of looking at the investment banking side, which has seen revenue down about 50 odd percent, I guess, from a really elevated 2021, right? So that's one way banks can manage the earnings. But kind of looking at the bigger picture, right? Um, you talked about financing costs hurting some, some retailers and other uh, sectors. But in, you know, it's a case of, I guess, you know, my, your pain is my gain. Right. Uh, and so that, that's one bright spot that these big banks have is higher net interest income. So, you know, as a sector overall, these big diversified banks, revenue is actually going up. Right. And of course, you know, expenses are going up as well. You know, uh, provision for loan losses, you know, loan delinquencies and stuff expected to rise. So that is expected to go up, too. But overall revenue, uh, uh, because of the higher revenue, uh, earnings are actually going to look to be about flat or slightly higher as well for this year. So where's all this revenue coming from? You, I noticed a bit of jargon there, but where, where's all the money coming in for the banks? In yeah, so so the big driver is net interest income. So basically being able to charge more on uh, uh, more interest on the loans uh, versus um, what they're paying out in deposits. 
right? So that, you know, the, the net interest margin is still expected to go up a little bit over this year. And so, you know, that's that simple fact of being able to charge more on, on, on the loans, um, that, that's helping the revenue for these banks. So it's purely fact that, you know, rates have gone up. We've not seen a, such a steep and fast rise in rates in a long time, and that's benefiting the banks. Correct. Yeah. And then, but on the flip side, right, you know, a little higher expenses. And then, you know, if we're going into a recession, and depending on what kind of recession, right, um, the banks are expecting, you know, the um, delinquencies and charge-offs to rise as well, but maybe not enough to kind of offset the revenue uh, increase. So let's dig into that a bit. I mean, I'm worried about the consumer and I'm worried, you know, we looked at retail. We talked with Claire Boston just now about retail. That shows that the consumer is struggling a bit. Is that not going to feed into them not being able to pay back their bills to the banks? Well, I mean, I call this right now a Goldilocks uh, environment for the past few months. And, and there are three things within that, including the consumer, that have gone really well, right? So, okay, let's talk about consumer. First of all, consumer has been more resilient you know, than expected. Uh, although I guess there's a risk in the second half of the year where that might start trailing off and kind of the cash balances that they've maintained uh, might go below below pre-pandemic levels. But two other things that are kind of more, you know, also specific to banks are, you know, the issuance levels, right? Um, they were very elevated last year. And then, you know, it's, it's really trailed off this year. You know, this year we expected for the big six banks issuance to fall off about 33%. Uh, in January alone, when they're typically very active, that's down about 70%. And just right? to be clear, sorry, that's bond issuance by the banks who are selling bonds to bring in debt to do what with it? Uh, so debt issuance, uh, yeah, by the big banks. And and they use that typically for uh, regulatory requirements, you know, basically um, post-pandemic as, as the flood, uh, Fed flooded the cash into the system. A lot of that inevitably landed at the banks. Bank balance sheets got bigger. Banks need to have you know, debt uh, as a percentage of their, their assets to kind of get bigger. And then, you know, I think uh, in the first half of last year, I think debt issuance was elevated because of expected volatility, you know, first on, on the rate hikes, uh, maybe not as much as they expected, and also volatility from Ukraine, um, you know, Russia. But then in the second half of the year, uh, the trading environment, I think, was continued to be a lot more active than expected. And that's a business that's funded with debt. But uh, kind of going back to the to the third thing um, that um, has been Goldilocks for, for, for the banks is, um, you know, inflation expectations, right? That has been kind of a, bit, a little bit more subdued. Um, you know, it seems like it's coming down. And, and then, you know, if, if that kind of volatility ramps up again, I think I think that's a headwind. And um, in terms of, I, I think, for the banks, you know, what we've seen is they, they've had a massive underperformance uh, last year. Right. Typically, banks uh, and and I'm, you know, I'm using big banks, uh, big U.S. banks as a metaphor for the overall financial sector. Uh, but financials typically have traded about 10 basis points tighter than the overall index. Uh, let's say starting at the beginning of 2022. Now they widened a lot more. They they, they were about 30, uh, sorry, 20 wider, right at the end of October, and, and then now they're about five. Uh, a little bit five wider. So, you know, 30 wider to now, they, they trace back half. And so uh, I guess in the great Bon Jovi, the words of Bon Jovi, it's, oh, you know, we're halfway there, I guess, right? 30, 30 wider. And now we're 15 uh, tighter from there. You know, d- can they make it back all the way? And, and if, if, if we're kind of going into like a mild recession, hey, hey potentially, and, and it's a shallow recession, we come back out, maybe there's potentially more room, I guess, if this benign, you know, Goldilocks environment continues. But, you know, then again, anytime, you know, Fed, Fed uh, inflation volatility can ramp up. So there's an opportunity right now for investors to still buy bank bonds because they're trading too wide and they could come in? Uh, yeah, if, if they do go back to that historical, you know, they're still five, five basis points wider than the overall index. But, you know, typically in the non-recessionary times, volatility low, 
um, they trade 10 basis points tighter, right? So, so the opportunities there, the performance has been decent. Investors seem to like this stuff. Why didn't the banks sell a ton of debt in January? You know, usually we see everyone pile in. We see all six of the big banks sell a lot of bonds. This time around, only two did, and, and it was not very much. Yeah, no. So it's, it's, you know, last year, I think, was a lot higher than expected. This year, it seems like, you know, it's, it's trending lower. But, um, you know, we put out a note on, on um, regional banks, actually. You know, we call them maybe maybe they're G-SIBs. You know, they're the wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Where uh, they've really picked up the slack this year. Um, and, and we think that's because the regional banks, they some of the bigger ones, like the PNC, Truist, and um, U.S. Bancorp, those guys might be hit with additional regulation that requires them to hold uh, bail ineligible debt, TLAC, right, which has been a big driver of the biggest banks' active debt issuance. So, you know, while, while the big ba- big six have been very kind of subdued, only two out of the six, James, as you mentioned, have come to market. But, you know, these regional banks have really picked up the slack, and so they've been more active. So, you know, I, I wouldn't bet against these big GSIBs not issuing, right? But uh, I think it'll, it will be more subdued compared to last year. The smaller banks are the regionals, as you say. I mean, are they not much more exposed to the consumer through through loans to consumers, through, I don't know, autos, through credit cards, et cetera? Yeah, I guess depending on, on which ones, right? The, the, the biggest commercial bank, uh, biggest uh, regional banks are more kind of oriented more to the businesses and, and companies. But you do get into, you know, some some more kind of um, you know, regional banks like, like the Ally Financials or something who are heavily exposed to auto loans, right? And that's, um, you know, a, a segment that I think is, is coming under pressure given Ally is heavily exposed to used car loans, which, you know, w- was great in the beginning of the pandemic when everybody, you know, wanted to social distance um, and supply chain issues in the, in the new car segment uh, that really pushed up used car prices a lot. But now we're seeing kind of the unwind of that where, you know, the supply chain issues have gotten better. And so, um, you know, people get, can get new cars and so uh, a little bit better. But then, um, yeah, used car pricing, although still elevated, right, that's come down a lot. And so, you know, I, I think that is kind of pressuring some of these, you know, more monoline, um, you know, business oriented, um, you know, regional banks and stuff like that. So within the banks and the sector um, as a whole, what do you like and what, you, what do you not like for 2023? Yeah, so I think you know the, the big uh, U.S. banks are also exposed to the consumer, right? You know they have big credit card arms as well, but again, they're more diversified, right? And so the great thing about that is, you know, when something's not working, uh, something else might be doing better. I.e., you know, if you look at just the investment banking and trading business, uh, investment banking was down fifty percent last year uh, in terms of you know lower M and A, the underwriting environment for IPOs, follow-on equity offerings, leverage loans, right? All that stuff was really severely hit. Uh, but the trading business was highly active, right? And, you know, gain, you know, uh, garnering positive um, revenue. So, you know, I, I think that's what you have for the big banks is this diversity. And, and plus, the, these bigger banks, where they are exposed to the consumer, they deal with more kind of the prime uh, segment, right? So I think that helps um, isolate them from, from kind of the, the sector that I think is, you know, most hard hit right now is, is the subprime where, you know, elevated food, you know, housing and all the stuff is, is affecting them most. Thank you. So um, big banks are solid. Nothing to worry about here. What's the one thing that would change that assessment? What, what really keeps you up at night worrying about your bullish outlook? 
Oh, I mean, I think it's more from that um, relative valuation, right? I'm, I'm not not worried, uh, but I think it's um, it, what comforts me, I guess, is is that because the banks uh, really underperformed last year, so you do have some of this cushion kind of going back, you know, 15 basis points of underperformance, you know, still, right, um, versus early 2022. Um, and I think from from um, a spread perspective, what might impact that is, you know, I, I think um, you know, there's a great, you know, Bloomberg article today in terms of, you know, investors fighting the Fed. And, and, and really that outlook of, um, you know, uh, you know, Fed says we'll keep rates elevated, um, but then, you know, that's not what the market is saying, right? So uh, we'll see how that dynamic plays out, you know, as, as these kind of rate hikes temper, um, you know, how long will the Fed uh, keep rates high, right? And, and I think that's really impacting sentiment. Uh, so that, that's one thing. And the other thing is, um, you know, how bad will this recession be? Right. Will it be, you know, the, the, the out, of, out of the earnings call, it's, you know, all the big banks are saying, oh, it'll be a mild recession. Right. OK, so what does that mean for how long, um, you know, and, and, and in terms of the reserve levels, um, they're anticipating they're, they're saying, hey, you know, our reserves are good enough for, let's say, unemployment to go up to five percent, which, you know, from a base of three and a half percent seems reasonable. But, you know, will, will that be enough? Right. How much will, you know, uh, will delinquencies net charge offs happen if, you know, uh, we, we go far above, you know, that level? So it's like, you know, the degree of recession, I guess, you know, uh, towards the second half of the year, you know, how bad will it get? And then also, you know, inflation expectations and, you know, how high will the, you know, or, or how long will the Fed have to hold rates high? That That's those are my two kind of big concerns. Thank you. Well, let's hope you're right on your uh, bullish outlook. We will read your analysis with great interest as we go through this troubling time of high inflation and slower growth in the U.S. Thanks very much again to Arnold Kakula from Bloomberg Intelligence. You can read all of his analysis on the Bloomberg Terminal. And thanks also to Claire Boston from Bloomberg News. Read all of the scoops from her team on the Terminal and at Bloomberg.com. I'm James Crombie. It's been a pleasure having you. See you next week on The Credit Edge. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.